What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam. Falcon season starts this week, Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Graham, it's go- going pretty well over here. Very happy that starting to feel a little bit like fall in Atlanta and uh, the football that comes along with it. Had the old the Clemson-Georgia game this past weekend, which I suppose for a lot of users was a, a happy thing, but no good for me. So, But hopefully that's, you know, I'm, I'm sure I got a lot of heartbreak coming up this season, but so it's good to get it started, I suppose, with a big loss to UGA. Yeah, well, we know Clemson always plays uh, cream puff teams until the playoff anyway, so you, you'll be fine as long as you don't lose another game. Yeah, that's true, and I, I watched that one with sometimes correspondent Arthur Roach, and he was he was really happy to get the win. He he definitely needed a UGA win more than I did, so I, I felt good. I felt good for him just in terms of you know it's Georgia's a bit of an Atlanta sports team and always disappoints. So proud proud of Arthur. Well, not proud of him, but happy for him that you know he could get that good feeling in September, anyways, before they horribly disappoint him in December. Yeah, I was talking to Alexa about, she was like, oh man, Adam must be really upset. And I was like, well, you know, Clemson's won like multiple championships over the last five years. And Georgia hasn't won since 1980. And even in a season when Georgia wasn't very good, Arthur was at a game and against, uh, I think, Tennessee. And they lost on like a last second touchdown or something. And it was a season where Georgia was like four and three. They weren't doing very well. And Arthur stayed in the stadium for 20 minutes after the game with his hand over, hands over his head. Like he had just lost, you know, the college football championship. So <laughs> I think he definitely needs it a lot more than you do. Yeah, he's diehard. He was he was a little upset that he forgot to print out the roster so he could know exactly <sighs> who every single uh, player was based off their numbers. And I just felt like an idiot. He would ask me questions about, oh, who's that linebacker? Who, who's that wide receiver? And I was like, I, I don't know, man. I've, <laughs> I haven't, I haven't watched funny. any games. I don't follow the offseason like I do with all the other sports. So this is all fresh to me. That's what that's what winning multiple championships does to you, Adam. You just uh, you know it, it satiates you enough that you can be a little more casual. Aren't you grateful that our Atlanta sports professional teams haven't won a championship yet in our lifetime since 1995? So happy about it. So happy about it. Graham. It keeps you hungry. It, it keeps me humble. That, that's what life is all about: is remaining humble and you know just having a flicker of hope at the end of it that something good's going to happen to you. And just like we do every year, Adam, where we have to reset and reload, so do your 2021 Atlanta Falcons. It's uh, a new era, as we mentioned, new GM with uh, Terry Fontenot, 16-year member of the New Orleans Saints as the assistant GM. He's also a scout during that time uh, with a particular emphasis on acquiring NFL free agents. We also have Arthur Smith, who was the architect of the Tennessee Titans offense for the last few years. He turned Ryan Tannehill into a Pro Bowl caliber quarterback, uh, had a crazy offense there the last couple of years, um, got to the AFC Championship game a couple of years ago. So we've got that going for us. At least it seems like at least we have qualified people to be our offensive coordinator slash head coach and our general manager. We got Matt Ryan. We got Calvin Ridley. We got this new stud, Kyle Pitts, as our tight end receiver hybrid. Um, you know, just with thinking about that, Adam, it seems like expectations should be a little higher than four and twelve, don't you think? Not counting anything else, like the defense. You, you think that we should be better than four and twelve? Is what you're saying? Yes, I I completely agree with that, Graham. I think expectations should be five hundred or better. And we know, you know, this this team 
has a, a long road to hoe. I mean, the, the depth chart was released a little earlier this week. Um, you know, we have some people in starting positions that probably wouldn't be starting, you know, on other NFL rosters. We got guys like Jonathan Bullard, their new defensive end. Um, this is his sixth year in the season. He's never had more than one and a half sacks in a season. In the last two years, he's largely played a reserve role. Um, you know, Steven Means, who's been on our team for a while, he's one of our starting linebackers in our new 3-4 scheme. Only got three sacks last year. And it was the first year he's really been a starter. Um, you know, then we got, got guys coming back also, like Dante Fowler, who was injury plagued last year, only got three seasons. We signed him to a big deal. He took a pay cut in the offseason. Um, and yet, you know, he's a guy that's lining up to be one of the outside linebackers slash defensive ends in the 3-4 scheme. And it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's guys like that, especially with, you know, Bullard means that it's like, can they be, and we, we have no evidence to this, but can they be really meaningful contributors to the defensive line? And can Dante Fowler recapture that form he had when he got 11 and a half sacks with Los Angeles, Los Angeles Rams a couple of years ago? I mean, these are three guys that are gonna, that are gonna play a critical part, particularly Fowler, and deciding, I think, whether or not we're going to have a better defensive line than we had last year. We know we got Grady Jarrett. We know he's a beast. We know he's a top five defensive uh, line, or at least defensive tackle in the league. But uh, And we've got Tyler Davidson also in the middle. We know he's solid run stopper. But everyone else, to me, is a bit of a question mark right now. And these three guys really jump out to me in terms of really going to be deciding whether or not we're going to have, you know, once again, a pedestrian pass rush. Or someone that you know a, a unit that can generate a little more pressure. Yeah, because you, you can't just scheme blitzes and sacks the entire game. Like you, you eventually need four guys to be able to line up on the line and be able to get to the quarterback and put some pressure on him. So you're right. Yeah, a guy like Dante Fowler, he's coming back. He's hungry. I think we all have low expectations for him based off just what we saw last year. But all reports are saying that he was injured last year and probably shouldn't have been playing. So. If he can come back and be a 10-sack-a-year guy, it's going to take players like him, a little unexpected, stepping it up big time in order for this team to, you know, potentially have a sniff at the wild card or something like that. So, yeah, on, on paper, it leaves a lot to be desired. But if a couple of rookies hit, if a guy like Fowler comes back big time, Bullard, he's never really gotten a full opportunity to be a starter. So it is going to take some diamonds in the roughs in order to – kind of put this all together. And then once again, we're just hoping that, what was it, four or five games that we lost by like less than three points last year. That's 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 where we're hoping that coaching is going to be a huge difference. As we know that Dan Quinn and his coaching certainly lost us a couple of games and just the decisions that were made, the team not being prepared. So it's going to take a lot going right, but I still think the possibility is there that this could be a halfway decent football team. Yeah, and I think, you know, let's speak to Dean Pease a little bit before we break down the rest of the defense. He's, you know, been in the NFL for, I think, over 15 years as a, as a coach. Um, he's won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. He's been a part of some fearsome Ravens defenses as their coordinator as well. He's a sack-happy guy. He's going to be sending blitzes. He's not Dan Quinn cover two um, just expecting, you know, sending four guys every time. He is going to send the blitz. That's not to discount what you were saying about, you know, about how the line doesn't need to step up. They do in order to make the blitz work. But we're going to see a much different defense than I think we've ever seen with the Falcons. And um, maybe even in the Arthur Blank era, we've never really had a defensive coordinator that is like really has a big emphasis on the blitz. 
you know, it's not like we never blitz, but it just seems like we don't, we're not that team. We're not like that. It's like an AFC North style of playing defense where you're stacking guys in the box, sending blitzes on third down, really going all out to get to the, get to the quarterback. We haven't really seen that before with, well, with any of our defensive corners, like I'm saying, that I can remember. So it's going to be a much different look at, at defense this year in Atlanta. And it's not just the blitzing that we, we've focused on so much with Pease. It's also just hiding coverages pre-snap, where I don't think we've seen that a ton in the past, but preseason we certainly saw it. And, you know, that's something, looking at this schedule, we, we have a lot of young quarterbacks that we're facing in the first, what, like eight weeks? So it's an opportunity to, you know, maybe a Tom Brady's not going to fall for those hidden coverages, but Jalen Hurts in week one, Daniel Jones in week two, less experience as guys. You can kind of confuse them, I suppose. Yeah, you probably haven't seen as much pre-snap movement since the Mike Nolan days. He was our coordinator during that 2012-2013 season, uh, the year that we took San Francisco to the NFC Championship game and should have won. Um, He did a lot of pre-snap movement. That's been stagnant since... Nolan left so yeah it will be interesting to see a little more hopefully just masking coverage and stunning blitzes and things like that um that we just don't see like it's just been a very boring ass defense you know exactly what's happening every single play and Dan Quinn never seemed to adjust and even though you know under Raheem Morris that the defense did play with a lot more energy last year down the stretch which was you know encouraging obviously you can kind of wipe that away because you know I don't really believe in offseason momentum if we did Dan Quinn might still have a job um you know, and I mean the defense did improve under under Raheem, and a lot of the a lot of the people that that were a part of that defense are are here today. Um, so I don't know. We'll 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 see what happens. We also know that our linebacking core, which is one of the strongest parts of, I think it is the strongest part of the defense. You know, Deion Jones, Foye Aluakon, um, Michael Walker. You know, who are playing those outside linebacker, middle linebacker positions. Um, that's a solid unit. And they're going to have to really, really carry a big load this year, I think, for this this uh, for the secondary. That's a mixture of young players and players that might be a little over the hill when it comes to uh, the safety position. You know, we got guys like uh, and, and to speak to the secondary. You know, we got guys like Fabian Moreau who who's come over here, who uh, you know is a five year veteran, but not hasn't exactly been you know a great cornerback or anything last year. Only had two picks last season with three passes defended. He's not a guy I'm really ex- expecting a a ton from. Eric Harris, one of the new safeties, uh, you know, is okay. 61 tackles, no picks last year. Only had five passes defended. Um, not necessarily a ball hawk, not a guy like DeMonte KZ or anything like that, who uh, I think we're going to miss this year. And, uh, you know, Deron Harmon's the other safety who's, who's new, who's spent a ton of time with the Patriots, I think like seven years um, before he was shipped off to Detroit last year where he recorded 73 tackles and also had five defended passes with no interceptions. So it's it's not like our safeties are ball hawks or really well renowned or anything like that. They're also both like 31 years old, so they're not they're not spring chickens. Um, so it's going to really come down to I think that line being improved and that um, that linebacking core carrying their weight to really help the defense. And we know AJ Terrell is a good young cornerback. We're expecting a lot from him this year, but he can't do it alone. He's going to need help from from the front seven. And I kind of, I mean, we, we've got the young guys behind Harris and Harmon as the safeties. Jalen Hawkins, who you've seen him just all over the field in preseason, and then Richie Grant, who was our second round pick as well, showed showed strides. So 
there's a little potential depth there that I, I do like it, but you know, yeah, I mean, if, if AJ Terrell steps up and becomes a cornerback number one, that's going to help out a lot. And Isaiah Oliver, there's been good reports on him being the nickel uh, back this year. So maybe that's a better position for him. I don't know. And then Kendall Sheffield as well. We still haven't seen him play. He's been hurt. So that's why it's still surprising that he's on this initial depth chart that was released. So I guess they have to go with one of the really young guys week one in Darren Hall or Avery Williams. So we'll see, Graham. It's so tough to like say much about I feel like we have this talk every year, but it's even more so this year because we didn't see many of these starters in preseason. So we don't know what Arthur Smith is really about or what this defense is going to look like because we haven't seen any of this personnel on the field. So right. So it's just kind of looking at what they've done in the past or what they did in college and kind of speculating. But especially, I feel like especially with like a secondary player like a cornerback, like you talking about Moreau, Maybe they just don't throw to him often. I don't know. I've, I haven't watched the tape on Fabian Moreau. Uh, but if if they're not picking on him his side, that that's a good sign in my eyes. So we'll uh, we're really not going to know a whole lot until Sunday at one p.m. Yeah, and even then, I don't think that's going to tell the tale of the tape either. I mean, they could have a really good game against Philadelphia. I mean, you think about who we're facing Week One in, in, in Philly. You got Jalen Hurts starting. You have a a damn brand new. Uh, pretty much wide receiver core for them. Um, we, we know they have Dallas Godert and, and Zach Ertz, who are both good tight ends, um, and they have Miles Sanders. But in terms of the receivers and the quarterback, you know those guys are being thrown to the wolves a little bit. We don't know how good or bad Jalen Hurts is at this point. They're they're young and inexperienced. The receivers are are, are inexperienced or, or or not really great receivers on on paper at least. So I think it's one of those things where um, you know if they get torched by Jalen Hurts. Um, and the receivers go off, then that could spell, I wouldn't even say certain doom, but it, it's its not a good sign. But if they contain them and do a good job, I'm also not going to get too excited because, you know, Philly is not, on, on paper at least, supposed to have one of the better offenses in the NFL. I would say the Eagles and the Falcons are kind of in similar spaces um, in a lot of respects, I would say, but we're kind of on uh, inverse. Like, I think we have a, a solid offense minus, you know, the questions on the offensive line where I think they have a solid defense, um, you know, but their offense is really young and inexperienced, and our defense is has a lot of inexperience on it, or just guys who are, are a little bit over the hill seemingly. So it's 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 going to be an interesting game on Sunday uh, to, to see who who really has the advantage in those areas where where uh, the respective teams are lacking um, depth or lacking experience or just or just might not be that good. I don't know. It, it's a. I feel like it's a big game for us because it's a. It's a home game, and we only have seven of those this year, thanks to having the international game in London. But you just want to get off to a good start, especially with week two against the Bucks. So that's that would be zero and two. So like, yeah, we're not beating Tampa Bay in that game. The, the, <laughs> the schedule is soft early. With we got Philly, then the Bucks. Obviously, that's a loss. But then Giants the Washington football team, and the Jets. I mean, that's four winnable games. Oh, for sure. Uh, so if you could get off to a hot start, that's going to mean everything, especially, you know, just in terms of getting the fans back into this. Like, they need to win a lot of fans back that are upset about the way things have gone the last four or five years. All the people that don't believe in Matt Ryan and their quarterback and want to move on to the next phase, think we should have done that this offseason. They – 
they need to show that Arthur Smith and Fontenot are our future. And similarly, like Travis Schlenk has done that with the Hawks roster to at this point, whatever he does, it's just like, you know, he's God basically like we, we trust you Schlenk. And so you want to get off to a good start just to, you know, win back some of these fans. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, you know, the six, if we do have success and it doesn't go for the whole season, it's like, just show us something. I mean, the last three years by, October 1st, we're done. We're, we're, our goose is cooked, and we're talking about why isn't Dan Quinn fired. Um, I really don't want to be having that conversation again. Not that, I mean, to me, Arthur Smith and Fontenot have a very long leash, considering what the roster's, who, you know, how the roster is comprised. But I don't want to be getting to this point where it's like, well, we got smoked by the Giants and by the Jets, and I guess we're going to win two games this year. You know, that's just going to be a miserable feeling for, for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, we don't we don't want to get into that again. So let's let's. I want to get a good start against this Philly team, Graham, and, and I personally think we can win this ball game, and almost should. Yeah, I agree, Adam. I think we we have a very good chance of winning this game. We're three and a half point favorites. Not that that means anything. I think that's mostly due because you know we're at home. But you know, think about it. We have a better quarterback. We have better receivers. I don't think I think we're a little outdone at running back, maybe with Miles Sanders. But you know, Mike Davis is a guy who you know totaled over a thousand total yards last season. So I mean, I think we got more than a chance of winning this game, and more than a chance of opening up with with some solid wins against teams that are underwhelming. I mean, we have the third softest schedule in the NFL. That a lot of people who are a hell of a lot smarter than me have have said. You know, we played teams like the Patriots, the Jaguars, the Panthers twice, uh, the Lions. You know, we, we have, uh, you know, the Jets, like you mentioned, the Giants. We, we have some absolute, you know, half our schedule are very winnable games. It just comes down to can, can the coaching really step up and make this roster better than it can actually be? And I think that's a big thing on the defensive side of the ball. You look at the past, our past defenses, and, you know, on paper, when you see guys like, okay, we have Grady Jarrett, Deion Jones, Keanu Neal, Ricardo Allen, Desmond Trufant when he was good, um, you know, you were like, well, this defense should at least be serviceable. But after 2017, the 2017 season, it was not. And you start to wonder why. And to me, it just seemed like, you know, probably a lot of it was coaching. It was like, there's no reason why you have all these talented people in all three areas of your, of your defensive roster and, and have the results that, that, we're, that we're having. So you look at this paper now compared to, like, let's say the 2018 defense, and you're like, well, on paper, they don't seem nearly as good. However... Um, I think you can mitigate those factors to your degree, at least with an effective scheme that can mask our personnel's weakness and really ensure that everybody's playing to their strengths. We know Dan Quinn just tried to force the scheme down his players' throats without thinking about how to put them in an actual position to succeed. And it really only worked for a year. Dean Pease will hopefully be able to better utilize his personnel, make them more prepared, and make them play better as a unit. I mean, this team kind of reminds me a little bit of that Matt Ryan rookie season team in 2008 where it was like, New quarterback. We got a uh, guy who's been a second string running back on a team for a while who's been who's been solid. Let's see if he can, you know, be a lead back. And we have a defense that's, you know, we had old ass guys like Lawyer Malloy and Keith Brooking and a bunch of young players, and it was just kind of like they played, you know, just so much better than they should have. Um, and we won eleven games. I'm not saying that's gonna happen, but it all comes down to coaching and preparation. And can you put your players in a position to succeed? And it's going to be a real testament this year to see whether or not Arthur Smith can do this with this group. And it doesn't mean that he sucks if he can't, but it will go a long way to prove that he is the right guy here if he can muster out seven, at least seven wins 
um, with this group. Yeah, and that's a good point about some of those big, bigger names we've had in the past on defense. Like, you got to think when you look look at the Patriots during their their prime, every offseason they would lose what you thought was like their biggest defensive name and just like refusing to give them a bigger contract and then just come back stronger as ever. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't affect the team at all because they could plug and go. So if you get, if we are in the right system now, in theory, you should be able to, you know, get the right, it doesn't have to be the biggest name out there in order to have success. So that's kind of something we're hoping for here, but I do like a mix of, like you're saying, a mix of some of the veterans and the young guys. And I read an article this past week about Lee Smith, who's our like backup, backup tight end. He, he's just a, a blocking tight end is what he is. And he's an 11 year pro was with Buffalo the last few years. And he like, he prides himself on the fact that he's built more like an offensive lineman. I think he's like six, six to 60 something. So he's not a guy who's going to catch more than 10 balls this year for us, but he's he's hung around in the league for 11 years, and he's apparently been putting a lot of work into one of our rookie DNs, Agundaje, out of – we, we mm-hmm. got to figure out how to pronounce his name at some point here. He's been really working with him just because, you know, he's blocking him in practice all the time, and he prides himself on teaching rookies and any young players everything that he can to improve them. So – I like hearing stories like that, and apparently Lee Smith is a guy that Arthur Smith has wanted on his team for a couple years now. He was trying to get him with the Titans, so he he was one of the first signings these guys really did in the offseason, and, you know, it's it's pieces like that. Like, when we look at what you can do for a locker room, the right guys to bring in, I, I, I like seeing stories like that, so. Chemistry is always undervalued by anybody who, you know, lives their life by statistics, um, which I know... I can come across as doing so quite a bit, but I mean, it is a big, it is a big deal. And, and guys, especially on football, when it's such a collaborative sport, especially, I mean, offense and defense, but I particularly think on defense, particularly with the league, all, you know, creating rules to emphasize the offensive game. So important for the defense to be able to come together and figure out a way to stop, uh, stop teams. And it is really a, a, you know, whatever the phrase is, greater than the sum of their parts kind of thing right now. That That's the attitude that this team has to, to look at. The only real, truly great player that we have on this defense to me is Grady Jarrett. You can make the case for Deion Jones, but Grady Jarrett's been that consistent beast his entire career. And even though the linebacking core is solid, everybody else has a big question mark above them. And can these guys play together? Can these guys come together? Can they cover their weaknesses? Can they... You know, can they play a versatile defense? Can they understand Dan Pease's scheme? There's so many variables, and we just have no idea how it's going to shake out. But it, I would not be surprised if this defense is a little better, or even, hell, a lot better than they're projected to be. And really, the biggest thing to look for is we don't have much depth. So when, when I say that we could possibly win 9-10 games, I mean if everyone stays healthy. If we get a couple yeah. key injuries like we've seen in the past, we're, we're kind of screwed. Yeah, let's talk a little bit, bit about the offense. Let's talk about the line. Um, so our, our line's comprised of Jalen Mayfield, Matt Hennessy, Caleb McGarry, uh, Jake Matthews, and Chris Lindstrom. We know Matthews and Lindstrom are solid players. I know everybody has that grudge against Matthews for missing that block in the Super Bowl, but you look at this line, he's clearly the best player on the line. 
There are questions about all these other guys, though. Matt Hennessy has huge shoes to fill when it comes to being the center. McGarry has, you know, his heart condition, missed a decent portion of camp. And now Jalen Mayfield stepping in when he wasn't expected to be a starter. Um, and he's playing on the interior of the line. He's going to have a very tough assignment on Sunday against Fletcher Cox, where, which is where who he's going to be lining up against on the interior of the line. It, both the defensive line and the offensive line scare me the most. And it's, and it's the reason why we've never really won a damn Super Bowl is because we've never had a collectively great defensive line. I think the last time we had a great offensive line was probably that Super Bowl run. But it's few and far between with the Falcons. When you look at Matt Ryan, how many times he's been sacked over the course of his career, you know, he's always eaten it uh, you know, at least 40 times a year over the last three, uh, last four or five seasons. Um, the line has let him down. Now, that's not to say Matt's without fault, but the line has sucked. You would compare that to Tom Brady, for example, in both New England and Tampa Bay. He's only getting sacked 20 times a year. Matt Ryan's always in the top 10 and getting hits, getting pressures, and being sacked. So can this line step up? I have no idea. I haven't seen two of, of these five guys play, and I don't know what to expect from McGarry from a health standpoint. And you're exactly right. We saw how badly the depth on this team was exposed during the, during the uh, preseason, not the postseason. Um, and any one of these guys goes down, it's going to be an absolute nightmare for this team. And then on the, you know, the skill position players, we, I feel really, this is the thing I feel the best about, you know, Calvin Ridley's ready to step up to be the number one receiver. We saw him do that when Julio went out last year. We know Russell Gage has developed into a all around really nice receiver as a number two option. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the progression of uh, Zacchaeus, Olamide Zacchaeus, who's made a lot of big catches over the last couple of years. And then, you know, we have a damn good uh, tight end unit as well with uh, Hayden Hurst coming back after having a solid season last year and the hopeful emergence of this unicorn, this wide receiver tight end hybrid, Kyle Pitts. We're, we're in a really solid spot with the skill position, guys. Yeah, and especially, like, we, we've talked about this a million times, how, like, on paper, maybe, you know, Zacchaeus is your third string wide receiver isn't isn't that strong. But with having Hurst and Pitts on the field at the same time, and Lee Smith as a blocking tight end, like the tight ends are kind of kind of be able to fill that wide receiver role to be Matt Ryan's go-to options when Calvin Ridley's getting double and triple teamed. So there, there's enough talent to spread the ball around to where if you do double team Ridley, someone else is going to be open. Yeah, I mean overall, like I said, you feel a lot more confident about the offensive side of the ball. For sure, when at least when it comes to depth and with just the people that are playing, um, we know what we're getting from Matt Ryan getting a guy who's going to throw well over four thousand yards, maybe thirty touchdowns, um, who's going to have an above average completion percentage. I think what's really going to come down to for him is minimizing the amount of times he has to throw. I mean, there's a reason why he's approaching five thousand yards seemingly every year is because we're always down and we have to throw the ball a lot. Uh, Mike Davis is going to have an absolutely crazy impact on this season if he can be hell if he can be even the guy that was in Carolina last year I think he rushed for like 658 yards and caught like 350 yards out of the backfield that's over a thousand yards of of total production that's nothing to, to sneeze at and I expect him being the clear lead back for an entire season to eclipse those numbers and I also expect Arthur Smith to put him in better position than Dirk Cutter ever could well you got to think how bad our personnel was last year at running back where so we have Todd Gurley, Ido Smith, and Quadri Allison. You know what those three guys have in common, Graham? They weren't very good. But also, none of them are on an NFL roster right now. 
there you have it. Allison made the practice squad. Maybe Ito Smith made a practice squad, but like that's what we were rolling with last year. So, and Mike Davis, Patterson, and then our signing this past week, we got Wayne Gallman, who is a good pass catching running back. He was a third round pick out of Clemson, I believe, probably five or six years ago. Played with New York for a couple years, and it's 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 an upgrade for what we had on the roster for sure. So. All three of those guys are just leaps and bounds of, ahead of what we had last year. Yeah. So I think, you know, with everything said, I think I'm going to go against my bet, Adam, that I made with you earlier in the season. Right. I think I said we wouldn't win more than six games. I'm going to say the Falcons win eight games, uh, don't make the playoffs, but it's a solid step in the right direction. So what is that's my that's that's just where I'm at. What is it that has changed your mind in the last week? Well, it's really just the schedule. It's really looking at the schedule, which I hadn't really dove into that much. Like I knew kind of like the opponents we were playing, but also like just the order we're playing them in. I mean, you're right. Like four of those first five games are very very winnable games. I know Washington football team went to the playoffs last year and they have a good defense, but their offense ain't nothing. I'm not saying we're you know I could be totally wrong here, but it's just it just seems like the schedule also our division. You know, the Saints have a ton of questions. The Panthers suck. The only games I'm looking at where I feel like we're going to get absolutely creamed or, you know, I feel like the Bucks will definitely uh, sweep us. And I feel like, you know, I could be totally wrong about all this stuff. Um, but I feel like we can beat the Patriots. We can beat the Jaguars. Uh, San Francisco is going to be better this year. We'll probably lose to them. But, you know, the Lions, we can beat them. You know, the only other game I'm really scared of is, you know, against Buffalo. Um, that's it. And, and Miami's good. I'm not really concerned about anything else except Buffalo, Miami, and, uh, two games against Tampa Bay. I mean, sure. There'll be other competitive games, but you know, you look at it and they're winnable games. You get Matt Ryan at quarterback. Yeah. Just as long as he's protected. The, the, the one thing that gives me cause to pause here is that no one, no team is always is hundred percent healthy in the league. We got very lucky that year we went to the Super Bowl with all five of our offensive linemen started every single game. That's probably never going to happen again. So then there's a pessimistic side of me that says health and in, you know injuries will cause us to only win like five games this year. But I'm going to try to be optimistic. I'm going to say eight games, and, and that's where I'm at. Yeah, obviously any of these teams could beat us on any given Sunday, but the same, the same goes for us. Like, hell, did, did we actually beat the Bucs last year in their Super Bowl year? Wasn't that a thing that happened? No, we should have beaten them. I think we blew the oh, game. Oh, we blew the game? At the end of the well, year. there you go. Yeah. It was surprisingly competitive. It's it's like when we when we beat the 49ers two years ago in their Super Bowl run. It's like you, you just never know. So a lot of it's going to hinge on that offensive line, I think, even more so than the defensive line because you could kind of scheme away on the defensive line. But if you can't keep Matt Ryan upright and open up the running game, we're, we're completely screwed. So – that that's that's the biggest thing to look for, in my opinion, this year. Back to the schedule, real quick, Graham. If you hate primetime games, this is the season for you. Whole lot of one o'clock <laughs> this year. We we got one eight twenty against the Patriots on November eighteenth. I don't know why. Oh, that's probably a Thursday. That's why. <laughs> that's the best week. Because you know Thursday night football gets the best fucking games. Yep, that would explain that one. And sure enough, that's the Thursday. So, yeah, no primetime. Uh, Sunday or Monday games, which which is okay with me. I like a good one o'clock game. Yeah, and also you know it's just like especially Monday night gaming. It start to like eight thirty, eight twenty, whatever. 
And it's like the game goes till twelve thirty, and then you gotta wake up and go to work, and you don't want to deal with that shit. Yeah. So I'm I'm good with it. We, I don't need a bunch of prime time. Plus games. the nine thirty a.m. game is gonna be fantastic. Oh yeah, when we play, who is that against uh, New York? New York Jets, I think. The and Jets London. in London. Yeah. That's when you know you've reached a new low. Is when you're going over to London to play football. It's always the Jaguars and the Jets and a bunch of like you know you never see the Patriots when they were great going to London or anything like that. It was always the the teams that are uh, bottom feeders, cellar dwellers. All right, Adam. Let's talk about the Atlanta Braves. We're currently two and a half games up over Philly, and the Mets, Adam, aren't quite dead. Only four games back at the Braves after going on a bit of a surge themselves. Uh, it was a tough series out west against LA and Colorado. Got swept by the Dodgers and split with the Rockies. Come back and since taken one game against Washington. And uh, I heard it was a little more eventful than it needed to be. I missed the game last night, unfortunately. But uh, where do you want to start, Adam? Do you want to talk about that uh, <laughs> the Tyler Matzik being pulled for Chris Martin debacle? Which was, was that against the Dodgers? Yes, that was the last game of the Dodgers when we were up. And Matzik had given up a leadoff double, but then he strikes out two in a row. He struck out Mookie Betts like on a 99-mile-an-hour fastball. He looked great. And I was like, all right, just let him let him do it. Let the guy who's got you know a sub-1 ERA since July finish it off. But I was like, nope, let's put in Chris Martin. And, uh, of course, he blew the game. Um, and Snicker said that the reason he put Martin in is because he has better career numbers against Justin Turner than Matzik, even though... I don't know. Chris Martin has had a 4-3-5 ERA in August and hasn't, uh, you know, pitched well at all really since the All-Star break. So that was frustrating. I think it was still a good sign that we were hanging with the Dodgers. It was just, it was just like, man, we could have won. We could have won that series. We could have won two or three games there. Yeah, it was, it was three close games and it, it was pretty brutal. But your boy Matzik has been falling off a little bit though. The last, I think he's given up like six runs over his last like three appearances. Yeah, he hasn't had a good September, but Adam, he was so good. August, 8-4 ERA, over 10 innings pitched, only three hits and one run, struck out 17. He's been a beast. He, like, afford him a little, uh, give him a little uh, leeway there. Oh, listen to you, Graham. Because people that are, are, he's been our best reliever since the All-Star break. I don't think there's any way he could, anyone could argue with me about that. We, we so. certainly can't afford for him to go the way of Chris Martin. I feel like we, we've had enough guys that we were counting on kind of start struggling recently so hopefully hopefully Matzik can turn this around maybe he just needs it maybe he's been overused a little bit in August I think maybe he needs a break and it was also probably unrealistic for him to keep pitching as well as he was I mean he was just lights out every time he got up there um personally I have so, a bone I, I, I have a personal bone to pick with him because I am in the fantasy baseball playoffs and have Max Freed as one of my starting pitchers who went six innings, gave up one run, had a four-run lead that he handed off to Matzik, and Matzik proceeds to blow that in about eight minutes, costing me a win in what could be a very profitable fantasy baseball playoff. So I might be a little biased against Matzik right now, Graham. So I apologize. At least you're, yeah, at least I, you're admitting why you'll be biased, though. Yeah, yeah, but, but then I, I dove into it. I was like, oh, he has been struggling the last week or so. But hopefully he can turn it around. It is it is just a rest thing because with shortly after that game you were talking about where Chris Martin came in, he got phantom DL'd as well. I can't remember what they said was wrong with him. Sore shoulder or something. So he's he's on the DL currently as well. So he's not even an option. Um, yeah. I think Matzik will be fine. 
I think, you know, everybody has a blow up inning every once in a while. He's been consistently really, really freaking good since the all-star break. I, I, I'm not too concerned about him. Um, there was a really good story Dave O'Brien wrote on Adam Duvall that really quantifies the clutch hitting you've been talking about. Uh, with runners on, he's hitting above 300 and slugging 663. The 663 slugging percentage is the best in the majors. Wow. Um, with runners on base. So I think, you know, in the spirit of all these extensions being handed out with Darno and now Charlie Morton getting his big extension, I think Duvall's under contract for next year, correct? Uh, it's it's a club option. I think it's a seven club million option. seven million dollar club option. So surely they've learned from their mistake from not bringing him back last year, and they'll they'll pick that option up as he's he's earned that and and then some. And he he clearly loves playing here, and is a huge part of this team. I think he's leading the National League in RBIs. It's like that's that's not a fluke, you know. It's like he's just got that that clutch gene and yeah, he's, he's got to come back. It, it, it is strange. All these extensions going out and Freddie is still not one of those. I mean, Liberty media doesn't really care about the Braves that much, but they want to keep, you know, at least us contending. Uh, I don't think they'd be handing out Darno extension and Charlie Morton extension. If they didn't think Freddie Freeman would be involved. Yeah. To me, that's just too big of a loss to cover up. Like Darno doesn't cover that. Morton really doesn't cover that as a, damn near 40 year old pitcher even though i would say he's been our best pitcher this year but you know he's not an everyday player um and darno while good you know it's not a big investment for darno it's still what 16 million dollar contract overall it's not that much so to me this is this is hopefully foreshadowing the freddie freeman extension um i think i really hope it's coming soon i really don't want to be having this conversation in the offseason yeah clearly we're trying to win next year is what and and it's showing freddie as well and you know, everyone knows that both parties want him back. So let's just get it done. But the, the Charlie Morton extension, I I think that's pretty cool. A good show of faith for him, giving him that one year, $20 million deal. Like he has certainly been our most consistent pitcher all year. He's seemingly getting stronger as the year is going on. He's, I know his fastball is averaging more than it was last year. So it's like, he, he's the ageless wonder. I don't see it dropping off next year. And, um, you know, it's one of those things if you, you think, why do it now? But, you know, a team like Tampa Bay, I think Tampa Bay has kind of regretted not bringing him back this year. And they would gladly give him a similar deal if it got to the off season. So to just show Charlie, look, we, we believe in you. It's not one of those things where you have to prove it in the playoffs again. Uh, here's your money now. We want you back next year. You know, so coming into next year, we know we got Morton locked up. We got Freed. We got Anderson. We got Wasker. And then hopefully Mike Soroka. That's really strong. And Morton at the top of that is just, he's a given that he's going to produce. So I, I like the deal. Yeah. And I also just loved um, how this deal came after his Dodgers start where he was just really dominant. Should have gotten the win and not been for that Martin Matzik screw up. Um, it, it's, it's just like his ability to perform on a big stage is, is well proven as well. I mean, there's also another reason we, we brought him in and that's performing the playoffs. And, you know, I know like we keep talking about the playoffs and we're only two and a half games up. Um, but he's gotta be your number one starter if we make it right. Oh yeah. You got to run him out there game one. Like, I mean, you could argue freed, I suppose, but Morton is, I mean, he's 
one of the best playoff picture, pitchers over the last five years. Like you, you've got to put him out there game one. Yeah, and he's doing it so well this year too. He's he's our best best pitcher. It's not just a veteran, you know, mercy start kind of thing like with Dallas Keuchel. It's like no, this this guy's one. He's got the experience. Two, he's kicking ass this year. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So uh, other things that are going on. Ozzy's back from his his uh, injury where we thought that foul ball off and he was going to shatter his kneecap. It didn't. If anything, it pissed him off. Um. He's come back and is just crushing it, absolutely crushing it. He's hitting over 300. He's hit four home runs. Um, he's been outstanding. He's slugging over a uh, a thousand. Um, looking good, and you know we know he's a streaky ass hitter, and it was good to, because he had been in a slump for for a little bit. So I think giving him some time off is, was good. I think he missed three games ever since then. It's, it's a homer every game. He's looked outstanding. Yeah, he's he's been phenomenal. We, we we got so lucky on that one that it wasn't anything bigger because it it certainly looked like it was going to be done for the year type deal. So for him to only miss a couple games and come back, won us the ball game last night after Matzik blew it. He quickly came out and hit a two run bomb. So he he's got that clutch factor as well. I still with- want to drop him in the order, and there's another reason for that. In that what? same David Bryan article. It was mentioned that Ozzy Alves is second in slugging with runners on base. And that number is now at 658 after last night. So I want to see him dropped in the order to be in more run-producing situations. Because with no one on, he's only hitting 219 with 279 on base percentage at 392 slugging. It's really not good. I don't want that to be my leadoff hitter anymore. It's clear that Ozzy excels in run-producing situations. Yes, he's had a nice stretch of four games here. But let's just drop let's drop him a little bit in the order. Give him more of a chance to have runners on so that he can produce more. So you want we've had this before, but you want so Dansby batting first now? Yeah. I think Dansby. Yeah. I, I think that would just make us better. It's not like it's gonna kill us to have Ozzy up there. It's just like I just I mean the data says it, man. He he's better when they're when they're guys on. And you got a more of a chance of that if he's if he's lower in the order. I'm curious to see by the time this podcast comes out, this will be old news, but your ask from last week of Drew Smiley to the bullpen has happened. But then Tukey had a really bad start in Colorado, but he's getting another yeah. opportunity tonight against mm-hmm. Washington, which he needs to bring it tonight because he might be dropped again if, if he doesn't bring it tonight. It's a huge start for him. Yeah, it is a big start. I'm not too concerned with the Rockies start. I mean, you know, we also saw Ian Anderson suck in Colorado. I mean, Colorado is just a dangerous place to pitch. Um, we know this, but particularly for young pitchers. So I'm not too concerned, but I agree with you that he needs to have a good outing tonight, particularly against a Nationals team that is just falling off a cliff right now. They're in perpetual free fall. They're not good. They're not good at all. Go out there, give me six solid innings, uh, and, I'll, and I'll be happy. I, I, I'm not going to put too much stock in that Rockies start. He also, you know, have been thrown around going back in the bullpen then he's starting and so now I think he's gotten back into his routine hopefully and we'll have a good start tonight against the Nationals yeah I was very excited to see the Nationals and Marlins this week because we, we really needed it after that that tough stretch of games and you know th- this certainly isn't a done deal like Philly Philly's playing okay but they, they, their schedule is just so weak so we we, we can't 
like we we almost have to sweep teams like the Nationals now. Like generally, you'll say, oh, two out of three, but we're kind of to the point with the schedule we got coming up still going out to San Diego and San Francisco. Like we need to sweep these terrible teams at this point because the Phillies have it easy over the next couple weeks. Yeah. Well, the good news is they are playing the Brewers right now. They lost 10, nothing in their first game against Milwaukee. Brewers are definitely winning the central division. So hopefully the Brewers just sweep the Phillies. We can sweep the nationals, get a little cushion before, uh, you know, Philly continues on their cupcake walk to the end of the season. So I think the next toughest opponent they play, I think, is the Mets and then us, or vice versa. I can't remember. So it's – it's and the Mets, we, we know the Mets, even though they're playing better, are inconsistent as hell. So really the last tough opponent after Milwaukee for them is us. And we don't want to be in a situation where it's like, man, this series is going to decide the division. We want to be up by five, six games by that point if we can. I'm not saying we will be, but that would be ideal. Although, to stat correct you, Junior, the Phillies actually won game one 12 nothing. Wait, Monday, the Phillies won? On, on Monday they won, and then Tuesday they got killed 10 nothing. So Ah, that, okay, that, sorry. So they're splitting with, with Milwaukee right now. Correct. Okay, I thought it was their first game. My bad. But, yeah, so either way. So Milwaukee can't sweep them. Hopefully Milwaukee, I assume they're playing their last game tonight, unless I'm incorrect correct. about that, yeah, too. And, that, and then Philly has the Rockies, but that's... At home, where the Rockies are not nearly. I mean, they're terrible on the road. Great at home. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it's our lead has certainly evaporated a good bit, but you know, we're still in first place by a couple games, so that's a good place to be compared to where we were a month ago. So just keep keep it rolling at this point. Get it rolling again, I suppose. Right. I think that wraps us up, Adam. I don't think there's really much else going on out there. There's no Hawks news. I don't know what's going on in the world of Atlanta United, so I think this ends today's episode. Yeah, that's all I got, Bo. Well, folks, that wraps us up then. Thanks for listening. We will be back with a little mini episode previewing week one against Philly, and that will be released hopefully on Friday, and then we will see you next week for our normal Atlanta Zone show. So until then, rise up, chop on, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitality soap. Hospitality soap.